Well, I was reminded of a story about a lady who walked into church a Sunday much like this, and she asked the usher, or the usher asked her, where do you want to sit? And she said, I'd like to sit on the front row. He looked at her and said, I don't know if you want to do that. She goes, why do I not want to sit on the front row? And she, he goes, well, our preacher, he's long, he's boring, you're going to be tempted to fall asleep, he even spits while he preaches if you're on the front row, you guys aren't spitting distance here today, you, you're, not, you're not going to want to sit up on the front row. And she looked at him and said, do you know who I am? He said, no. She said, I'm the preacher's mother. And he said, do you know who I am? She said, no. He said, thank God. And then he ran. So God knows each of us, and I hope we know him uh, as we leave here today. Big, huge point from last week, disciples make disciples. Will you say it out loud with me? Disciples make disciples. That's what disciples do. Raise your hand if you want to be a disciple maker. Disciple maker. We all want to be a disciple maker. So let's, let's dig our heels in today. Let's look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 28. Final command. Last one. Go and make disciples. That's what disciples do. He's talking to his disciples. Jesus, what do you want us to do? I want you to go and make more disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. If you missed last week, it was the biblical foundation being set for this series called Compel. And for the rest of this series, we're going to talk about putting some feet onto this biblical foundation. A, a, a sermon today I entitled, Most Important and Most Forgotten. How many of you have children? How many of you have children? Okay. We didn't have children, and then we did. That's how it works, in case you're wondering. You know, I used to read about in the animal kingdom that there were animals that ate their young. <laughs> and I used to think, what is wrong with them? And then we had kids. And um, no, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. It's actually, tr like in a positive way, I want to eat my kids, don't I? Like it's... There's, shouldn't, shouldn't be sharing this, I just realized. Um, but it's in there, so i got to go forward. I, I want to eat my children. Why are you looking at me that way? <laughs> Some of you were shaking your head. And, and we've talked about this. And she, Nathan, what is wrong with you? And every now and then, I would, I'll just, like our little three-year-old boy, just squeeze him. I mean, have you seen him? Don't you just want to squeeze him? I just squeeze him. Tyler, do you want me to eat you? No, I don't want you to eat me. Like, I really want to eat him. And so I, I looked it up on WebMD because that's what you look up, problems and disorders. And I, <laughs> there is a thing called cute aggression. Cute aggression. Where you think, this is so cute, you just want to eat them. And uh, every night for bed, Tyler, I love you and, and I want to I eat you. And it, I say it every day, don't I? It is a problem. And that's just, it's just what's happening. Parenting is revealing. That's, I'm, I say all that to say parenting is revealing. I had all these plans in my head about what kind of parent I was going to be, and I'm going to, I'm going to give, I'm, I'm going to read books to my kids every night before bed, and 10 books, and I'm going to read them Pilgrim's Progress by the time they're six years old, and they'll have the book of Ezekiel memorized by the time of seven years old, and my son will never miss a three-pointer by the time of eight years old. You know, all the important things that kids need to learn. I had all these plans in my head about what kind of parent I was going to be, and I became a parent. But one thing we do, do that I, is probably our best thing, we do have a Bible lesson before bed every night. We do have a Bible lesson most nights, unless I'm too tired. Parenting is revealing. 
About six out of seven nights, we have a Bible lesson. And every now and then, our kids are all about routine. And if, if I walk in without my Bible, because it's in a different level of, of, of the house, and I don't want to walk down the stairs because I'm too tired at 8.30, and, and, and my son will say, Dad, wh- what about the Bible lesson? And I will say, if I'm too tired that night, we'll do a double lesson tomorrow. Okay? We'll do a double lesson tomorrow. And, and he seems to understand. And do you know what I really hope tomorrow, what, what happens? I hope he forgets <laughs> about the double lesson. And I, oh my goodness, parenting is so revealing. And I've taken the most important event of the day. It's probably the most important event of the day. When I open up the Word of God uh, with my kids, and then I forget about it because I'm too tired, I put it off till tomorrow, and we do that in a lot of things I've noticed. Dad, you want to play dominoes? We'll do it tomorrow. Dad, you want to play outside? We'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow's packed in our household, by the way. We have a lot of things going on tomorrow. You do it too, so I've seen you do it. We'll do, we'll, I just got in trouble. We'll, we'll do it tomorrow. We've taken the most important and made it the most forgotten. Do you know what I've noticed in our spiritual lives? We've taken the most important sometimes, and we've made it the most forgotten. And when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to reaching the lost, when it comes to us sitting here today and putting a game plan together, how are we going to move forward on on reaching the world for Jesus Christ? And as we talk forward about this campaign, it's really a campaign. It's, 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 It's not a series. As we've moved forward, we can be guilty of taking the most important aspect of evangelism and making it the most forgotten. So I don't want to do that today. I don't want to forget about the most important thing. And there are so many books, so many methods, so many conferences, so many philosophies, so many ideas. I've been given so much advice from well-meaning people about how to reach the world for Christ. And yet I very rarely hear about this. And I don't want us to forget it. And I want us to start with it. And it is simply one word, and that is prayer. As we move forward and put hands on this compelled series in reaching the world for Christ, let's not forget about prayer. You know why I'm a Christian today? Because I had some parents praying for me. I had some grandparents praying for me. If you're in Christ today, do you really believe you have become a Christian and nobody was ever praying for you? Do you really believe that? Who does the work of salvation? Do we save people or does God save people? We don't save anybody. We don't lead anybody actually to the forgiveness of their sins. It is impossible for us to do. Leading somebody to Christ is really, really hard, so hard that the Bible says we can't do it. Only God saves. Your preacher doesn't save. This church doesn't save. There's no program out there that can save you. Only God can save a lost soul. And the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Oh, my goodness, great words. Look at this. Paul said, I, I planted the seed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Apollos watered it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But God has been making it grow. We put the corn seed in the soil, but who actually makes that seed grow? And, he, and, and even our best agriculturalist people, whatever they're called, and we actually have one in here. We still don't know exactly how that seed grows because it's God who provides the growth. It's really odd 
The early church, doesn't, they didn't have what we have. All the technology, all the screens, all the lights, all the putting sermons online, they didn't have all of that. But one thing they did have, they had the power of prayer, and they used it. There was an odd period in, in Bible times. There was a gray area between the time that Jesus resurrected from the dead, and then he spent some time, uh, showed up to many people, and then he ascended into heaven. And then there's this 10-period gray area before the church started. And kind of what do you do? That In Acts chapter 2, the church started, 3,000 people got saved. Over here, Jesus ascended into heaven. He left the disciples. There's just 10 days of I don't know what to do. Kind of like Christmas break a couple weeks ago. <laughs> what are we going to do? There was a 10-day gray period. Do you know what the disciples chose to do in those 10 days? Before the beginning of the church, 3,000 people saved. After Jesus ascended into heaven, I'm like, where are you going? He says, you got this thing. 10-day gray period. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 1. Here's what they spent their time doing. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Many assumed the church started with a sermon by Peter. The church did not start with a sermon by Peter. The church started with the power of prayer. Many people assume those 3,000 got saved because Peter must have been an amazing preacher. No, no, no. Those 3,000, it actually was preceded by people in an upper room for 10 days laying on their face in prayer and calling on the name of the Lord. We don't want to forget that. And then fast forward to day one of the church, 3,000 were baptized. It says that the first church committed themselves, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The church didn't just start with prayer. They continued to pray. They grew in prayer. And then daily, a number of people were being saved on a, on a daily basis. The church started to grow. Christianity was spreading. People were becoming followers of Jesus. And the powers that be, the government, they didn't like it. And so they started threatening the Christians. They started throwing them in prison. They started to uh, to persecute them and, and kick them out of their jobs and tear families apart and even kill Christians. And they arrested two main leaders by the name of Peter and John. And they were in jail. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. On their release, after they got released from jail, Peter and John went back to their own people, reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. That's what they did. They responded with prayer. Now, you can read that prayer in Acts chapter 4, but here's part of it in verse 29. Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I'll just tell you right now, if your preacher got thrown into jail and I was released and I showed up at your house, I'd be asking you, pray that they would get off our back. Pray that they would stop throwing us in prison. Pray that they would stop persecuting. You know what they prayed for? Boldness to speak the word of God. How did God answer that prayer? Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They spoke the word of God boldly. And then we're told in Acts chapter 10 how the first Gentiles came to Christ. We all need to be happy about that. Unless we have some Jewish blood in here, it most, more than likely most of us are Gentiles. The first Gentiles came to Christ in Acts chapter 10. And, and here's what it says about Peter in verse 9, about noon... The following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Okay, Peter's praying. Then some men came over and got Peter and said, you need to meet Cornelius. 
Whenever Peter met Cornelius, Peter said, why did you send some men to meet me? And this is what Cornelius said. Well, Cornelius answered, uh, three days ago I was in my house praying. At this hour, at three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me, and Cornelius said, or, or and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer, and remember your gifts to the poor. Peter was praying, Cornelius was praying, and what was the result? They got together and they baptized the first Gentile converts. Several chapters later, Paul and Silas are thrown into prison because of their evangelistic efforts. Acts chapter 16, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas, what were they doing at midnight? Who prays at midnight? Paul and Silas. <laughs> and they were singing. Chelsea didn't let me sing at midnight. <laughs> but they were praying and singing hymns to God. And the jailer heard it. There was an earthquake. He said, I'm going to be killed because the prisoners are going to be, they're going to escape. He looks in and there's Paul and Silas still in there, even though their chains were broken off. And the jailer starts asking them, what have you been praying about? What have you been singing about? And it says this in verse 33, at that, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household, Paul and Silas, are praying. An entire family comes to faith. Later, Paul is trying to persuade King Grippa to become a Christian, and Paul tells him, hey, I just want to tell you, this is what I've been praying for you. Acts chapter 26, Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. So in the book of Acts, the early church story, 34 different times, we have prayer mentioned as a part of what God is doing in people's lives. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. He says in Ephesians chapter 6, pray also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change. He says in Colossians chapter 4, don't forget church to pray for us too, that God will give us many chances to preach the good news of Christ for which I am here in jail. If I was in jail, you know what I'd be asking for? For me to be released from jail. You know what Paul asked for? Give me opportunities to preach the gospel. Then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as, it, just as when it came to you. Church, I want to ask you a question. How effective is our disciple-making going to be without God's involvement? How effective is it going to be without God's involvement? Why would we not start first with prayer? Everyone can do this. Not everyone can come up here and sing. Not everybody can come up here and play the guitar. Not everybody can play the drums, though I would like to be able to play the drums. Not everybody can go work in the nursery. Lord knows not everybody can go work in the nursery. But everyone can pray. Amen? The whole church can do this and play a part in praying for people's souls. Uh, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. May that not be said of Venture Christian Church. May it never be said of us. We don't have souls coming to Christ because we never asked for it. So let me just point this out. Big conclusion here. Putting all these passages together. Prayer and evangelism go together. You say that with me? 
Prayer and evangelism go together. They're not separate. They are together. And all throughout the scriptures, I see people coming to Christ, but before I see them coming to Christ, I see that somebody was praying. The early disciples, the first 120, Peter and Cornelius, Paul and Silas, we can go down and down the line. Prayer and evangelism go together. And I want to say something here. So there's all the passages. I want to say something here that's a little edgy, and, and you could hear it wrong if you choose to hear it wrong, but don't hear it wrong. Here's what I want to say. And I'm for praying for the sick, okay? I'm for praying for the Before I say this, let me say that. I'm for praying for the sick. But I don't know why we spend more time praying for saved people to stay out of heaven than we do sick people to stay out of hell. Spend all of our time asking for God, please heal this person. He's saved. If he did pass away today, he's going to heaven. We spend more time praying for saved people to stay out of heaven than we do sick people to stay out of hell. Now, I'm not saying don't pray for the sick. I pray for the sick every day. I'm saying pray more for the unsaved. Pray more for those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Jesus did as he was hanging on the cross? Do you remember his one prayer? As they're nailing with the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's praying for lost people. I always wonder, in Acts chapter 2, when 3,000 were saved, I wonder if some of those 3,000 were those soldiers that he prayed for, and they came to know Christ. John Knox says, give me Scotland or I die. That's what he prayed to God. Give me Scotland or I die. That's a prayer. George Whitfield said, oh, Lord, give me souls or take my soul." So I just got to tell you, my prayer life has a tendency to become self-centered. My prayer life has a tendency to be all about Nathan. Anybody else have that struggle? Yeah. And what the scriptures is saying, they're saying, pray for others. He doesn't say, don't, don't ask things for yourself. You ask, you will receive. He's not saying that. It's the pleasure of the Father to give gifts to his children. He's not saying that. I just know if, you were to, if somebody was to write down all my prayers this week, I have this bad feeling it was too much about me and not about others. So let me tell you two stories. About 15, uh, 13 years ago, I was at a church, and I became convicted on this, prayer and evangelism go together. And so I asked two teenagers, two high school students who, I, who were weekly attenders, and they were, they were grounded in the Word of God. I, I knew I could ask them to do this. I knew I could trust them. And I just asked them, I just, ah, I know you're not supposed to test God, but I just want to, I tested God this day. I wanted to see what would happen. And I asked them, hey, would you go back in that back room? And we had the back room that kind of overlooked the auditorium. And I said, would you not sit in during the preaching today? And would you go in that back room and just pray for lost souls to be saved during the whole sermon? During the whole sermon. Don't sit in during the preaching. And when I said that, their eyes lit up. They said, we'll do whatever it takes. <laughs> and they went to that back room, and they, they agreed to do it. And they, I mean, I guess they prayed during the entire sermon. We, and it was a church we hadn't had any decisions for quite some time. And that day, two different people who we all assumed were saved came forward that day and gave their life to Christ and, and was baptized. And it wasn't planned. Nobody had called me and said, hey, so-and-so's getting baptized today. They've been planning on it. They've been preparing for it. Nobody, we weren't prepared for that. We had no idea. All I knew is when I went back out to my truck after church that day, I turned on my truck and then I just stopped and I stared forward and I thought, there's something about the power of prayer. I will never forget that day. 
And then fast forward about three years ago, some of this room will remember this. Uh, we're at a sizable church, and, and I asked the congregation, we had two services on, uh, on Sunday morning, and we asked the entire church. We, we put our staff and our elders and our deacons down front, and we asked anybody to come forward and have our elders, deacons, or staff, whoever you got lined up with, have them pray for so-and-so, pray for a lost soul, have a name in hand. I pray for my grandma. I pray for my daughter. I pray for uh, my coworker, my classmate, whatever it is. And we had hundreds of people that day in both services come forward, long invitation time. We had our elder staff and deacons praying for lost souls, people that didn't know Jesus. By name, they were praying. Amazing day. During the second service, I noticed, I don't know, 20, 21, 22-year-old gal, this side of the auditorium, she came forward. I noticed she was praying with, uh, with one of our staff members. And then instead of turning around after the prayer, whoever it is that she prayed for, and going back to her seat, like everybody else is going back to their seat, she stopped, sat down on the front row, and just started to cry. And long story short, by the time that conversation was done, that staff member went and sat next to her, and, and she said, you know, as, as you were praying for so-and-so, who I told you to pray for, it hit me that I'm not saved. And it stopped her dead in her tracks. She sat down the front row. And that morning, we baptized that young gal into Christ. Later that evening, that staff member was saying, hey, we've been doing the research and we've been talking. That was during second service. During first service, a gal came forward and she prayed for her daughter to be saved. That gal was that second service's mother. Her daughter was saved. during. That was that daughter. Now, we can put together all the methods and neat little cute ideas for evangelism that we want, but I don't ever want us to skip the power of prayer. God is the one who saves, and he is the one who we called on this compelled series. Uh, let me tell you what it's about. It's not trying to fill empty seats with people. It's trying to fill empty people with God. We're not trying to fill empty seats with people. We're trying to fill empty people with God. That's what this is about. And I'd love to tell you, that's how it always works. You come forward, you pray during our second service that we'll have in a couple of weeks. That person will come forward and get baptized that day. That's how it always works. I'd love to tell you that, right? That's not how it always works. But I have come to realize our last effort shouldn't be prayer. Our first effort should be prayer. So this is not a sermon series, as you can tell. This is a lifestyle change. So let me just share with you five ways to pray as we close. And we can have someone come and, someone come and play. Let me share with you five, just five quick ways to pray for the lost. Number one, pray for sensors of opportunity. I think opportunity is already there. We don't have to pray for opportunity. Pray for our eyes to be open to the opportunities that come right in front of us, right? How many times do I walk by an opportunity? How many times were, were my sensors not ready for the opportunity? God, pray that I would see the opportunity that you already give me on a daily basis. Colossians 4, pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. Number two, pray for help. I am scared to death when I talk to somebody about Jesus. You would think your preacher wasn't scared and didn't get nervous like a little girl, but I do. I need God's help. You need God's help. There's some things that maybe I don't need God's help. 
hammering a nail into a piece of wood. Maybe I don't need his help. Walking somebody to the foot of the cross, I need God's help. And so do you. Acts chapter 6, Stephen is talking to the authorities. They end up killing him. But here's what it says about what, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. That's because he had the power of God behind him. He had God's help. Number three, pray for boldness. Ephesians 6, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Number four, church, would you do this? Pray for results. We're not praying for church growth, we're praying for kingdom growth. Pray that many people would come to know Christ. Second Thessalonians, Paul prayed this. Dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly. And number five, pray for one. Do you have somebody in mind? Do you have somebody in mind? Do you have a name? Do you pray for that one? Here's a little church secret. If you set out to grow a big church, you probably won't grow a big church. But if we set out to reach the next one, what might happen is the church grows big because we're all focused on the next one. I, I got to give you a confession today. I don't know how to grow a big church. Sorry. Wrong place if that's what you're looking for. I don't know how to do it. But I do know how to pray for the next one. And I do know how to invite one more. And I do know how to share with one more. And I do know how to have dinner with one more. And I do know how to open my Bible with one more. Can you join with me, church, in praying for that one? What would happen if we all had a name, a classmate, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a dad, a mother, a son, a daughter, a grandchild, who you know today, if they, if they left this earth, their eternal destiny is in question. Would you join with me as a church and pray for that one? Raise your hand if you'll make that commitment this week. Let's pray for that name. All right. Father, we don't ever want to skip this. I fear, I mean, I, I read books on this, but I fear that we never even talk about this part of it. We don't want to end our series. We don't want to end our campaign, uh, campaign with prayer. We want to start it with prayer. And Father, we are believing this week, if we pray these five prayers, we're going to have opportunities that stand right in front of us. We're going to have people maybe even ask us, what is it that you believe? Why are you different? And Father, would you give us the boldness to speak on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ? And may we live our life this week not looking to please men, but to please you and to stand up for the living word of God. Father, you are good. May we leave here today not feeling guilty if we haven't done this, but feeling convicted to move forward in our life of prayer. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.